and uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 15. I want to share a message entitled, Overcoming Temptation. Uh, every one of us have trials, difficulties, uh, uh, temptations that come into our life, and I want to consider some things the Apostle Paul saying here and addressing and looking to how we can overcome those. While you're opening your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just a reminder on uh, March the 7th, that's the first Sunday in March, uh, we'll be having a lot in-person uh, worship and uh, also, of course, keeping the live stream going. And so we want to encourage you to come out March the 7th. Uh, that'll be the first Sunday we've come back together after we close down here. And we're going to be observing communion together. And so if you're not able to come out for in-person worship, uh, you can get some uh, juice and a wafer and uh, get ready to uh, observe communion with us as a church, not just here in, in the building in person, but also uh, live over the live stream. And so we want to encourage you about that. Well, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would uh, not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did eat, of, eat that, uh, uh, the spiritual meat and did eat drink, I'm sorry, and did, uh, can't even read tonight. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, but with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, uh, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Uh, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of, uh, of the destroyer. Uh, now all these things happened unto them, for in samples that they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world uh, are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, standeth take heed, lest he fall." There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above you, that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dear, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight to study the word. Uh, help us to uh, glean some truths maybe we haven't thought about before. Uh, that'll be a source of strength and blessing in our life. I pray, Lord, that uh, if uh, anyone is uh, uh, watching live stream, anyone here uh, with us tonight that uh, is dealing with any temptations and trials in their life or uh, uh, lustful desires that need to be dealt with, I pray we might be able to gain some knowledge and understanding of how to overcome those things. I'm thankful that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can be victorious in every area of our life as a Christian and so I pray for your blessing on the preaching this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text verse is verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And so, uh, overcoming temptation. You know, the Corinthian church, 
was a church really that was on the move. There was a lot of action and a lot of things taking place. Uh, but the problem in the of Corinthian church uh, was that it was struggling with carnality. Even though God was blessing, souls were being saved, and people were being stirred in their faith and certainly being challenged by the Apostle Paul because in Corinthians, Paul will say, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so God was moving and God was blessing in a great way, but they were struggling with the trials. They were struggling with the temptations uh, that, would, they would come in, that would come in their life. They had to face doctrinal error, and they would handle that whole issue of doctrinal error wrong. Uh, they would have to deal with immoral conduct by church members, and they would get it wrong, and uh, Paul would have to straighten them out about that. And so uh, this matter of overcoming temptations uh, is a difficult thing many times. Uh, people deal with addictions in their life. They deal with lust in their life. Uh, they deal with trials in their life. But we need to be able to overcome these things uh, because of the fact that God, I don't believe, has saved us to destroy us. I don't believe he saved us for us to fail. I don't believe he sa saved us for the purpose of allowing the flesh to reign in our life. He saved us that we might be overcomers. He saved us so that we might be victorious. And so I want to consider a few things here tonight about this matter of uh, overcoming temptation. Notice in our verse, uh, just we have to consider temptation itself because it starts out in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And so uh, define, uh, we have to define what temptation actually means or what does temptation deal with in our life. You can't correct something or you can't address something uh, if you don't understand what it is. And so he starts out just saying, there hath no temptation taken you. What is it? What, what is the temptation? Uh, first of all, when we talk about temptation, it deals with this matter of trials or testings, uh, this matter of uh, proving. And we're going to look at a few verses in Galatians chapter 4, and it's just a, a few pages over from where we are in Corinthians. But Galatians chapter 4 and uh, verse 13 says, Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first, of the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus." And so he mentions this, my temptation in the flesh. He wasn't talking about lust. He was talking about the trial that he was going through, the infirmity that he had in his life. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 9, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul would go to the Lord three times about this matter of getting the thorn in his flesh removed. And God would remind Paul that my grace is sufficient for thee. And so whatever the trial, whatever the testing, whatever the proving you may be going through, uh, that God's grace is sufficient to deal with that trial. Your trials that you're facing and dealing with are different than mine. Uh, we, we may have similar circumstances in our life but the bottom line is the reality of the temptation, the reality of the test or the trial is quite different from one towards another. And so we need the grace of God to help us to overcome that. It's good to be able to know that there's no temptation, there's no trial, there's no test, there's no proving that's going to take place in my life that I cannot overcome. Because what he says, there is no temptation uh, taking you, but such as is common to man. And so we see it deals with a trial or a testing or proving. However, this matter of temptation does deal with the enticement to sin. And uh, yes, it does, it's, it does go into the realm of our trials and difficulties, 
But it goes beyond that. It deals with this matter of enticement to sin. James chapter 1 and verse 13 uh, tells us, he, James addresses this issue of being tempted. In James chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, here it is, every man is tempted. Every man is enticed, literally. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so uh, the enticement to sin. Uh, and uh, Jesus said if a man was to look on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already. That's an enlurement. That's an enticement to sin. And uh, doesn't matter, Paul is saying this, it doesn't matter whatever trial you're going through, it does not have to overwhelm you. You can have victory over it. But being on that, whatever enticement you have, whatever lust you may have, whatever fleshly desires that are driving you, you may have, uh, you do not have to succumb to those fleshly desires and enticements to sin uh, because there is no temptation but that which is common to man. You can overcome these things. And so enticement to sin. I see another thing here when you talk about temptation. It deals with the allurement to depart from a divine task. Now, look over in Matthew chapter 4. We know Matthew chapter 4 is Jesus being tempted when he's in the wilderness. And I just want to look at a few things and highlight this matter of the temptation of Christ. Allurement to depart from the divine task. God had a perfect task, a perfect will, a perfect desire for what Christ was to accomplish in this life. When he is in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, the temptation that the devil brings to him is one to allure him away from fulfilling the divine task of God. You know, there's been many a person uh, who may not have been defeated by sinful, lustful things in their body or haven't been defeated by some trial they've gone through or whatever, but the temptation to depart from God's divine plan for your life comes upon them, and that's where they fail. I've seen, when I was in Bible college, I know when I started out for my freshman year, uh, there was, uh, I think it was 75 uh, uh, of us in the freshman class. Uh, four years later, when I graduated, there was only 35 left. In just four years. Now, these are all individuals who said, the will of God is for me to be in college, prepare for full-time ministry, what was the temptation? What was the allurement? What enticed him to move away from the divine plan of God? Look at the approach of uh, Satan with Jesus Christ. Uh, the allurement to depart from a divine task can happen uh, by personal provision. Notice in verse 3, it says, When the tempter came to him, this is Matthew 4 and 3, When the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, his heavenly father was providing for him. He was depending on the will of his father in heaven to be fulfilled in his life. What is the temptation that Satan is bringing to him? Well, wait a minute. You don't have to depend on your father in heaven. If you are who you are, if you're the son of God, then why don't you command these stones to be made bread? What is he's wanting him to do is depart from the perfect will of his father and then work his own will to provide for his needs. Now, oftentimes, many a person has been tempted to depart from God's plan for their life because they think they can run their life better than God can. They think they can provide for themselves better than what God is doing and providing in their life. And the temptation is to run after something else 
so you can take care of yourself uh, apart from God. Uh, watch out for that temptation for personal provision. Uh, it is, listen, it is more worthwhile for if you have to go without something to depend on God to take care of you than you to take care of it yourself and lose out on the fulfilling God's plan for your life. And so the allurement is to depend on personal provision. But notice in verse 6, he says, and it's the second time he comes to him, he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So just as the devil will come to try to turn you from the divine task of God by personal provision, he'll do it by foolish comprehension. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Absolutely. Is he God in the flesh? Absolutely. Can the angels carry him up? Absolutely. But that's not the God's plan for his life. That is not the purpose of him being there is to cast himself off of the pentacles and cast himself down uh, to show forth that, wait a minute, the angels will have charge of him. That's just foolish talk. It's just foolish comprehension. But how many times have people uh, uh, launched out in a, in, a, in a way that completely violates any common sense with the word of God? And next thing you know, they're, they're, they've fallen by the wayside and they're no longer committed to fulfilling the will of God in their life. So personal provision can cause you and allure you away from the divine task of God. Foolish comprehension can very quickly take you away from God's divine plan for you. And then I see this irrational uh, uh, adoration, irrational adoration. In verse 9, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Uh, that's irrational. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is being tempted by Satan to bow down and worship him. How irrational is that? But yet, oh, how, how oftentimes God has a will and a plan for our lives, and oh, someone will come or the devil will come tempting, and he starts to entice you and allure you. Uh, listen, there's a better way of worship. There's a better way of following God. There's a better, better way. Uh, you need to uh, connect with the world in which we live. And so bow down to the world and follow the plans of the world. And next thing you know, that allurement is drawing you away from God's divine uh, task for your life. And so temptation is trials and testings and provings. It's enticement to sin, but temptations also is an allurement to depart from a divine task. But it's also this. It's adversity sent by God to prove one's character. Uh, temptation is adversity sent by God to prove one's character. We see that in the life of Job. I'll just read this. You can jot this verse down, Job 1.8. But it says in Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And so, yes, there are trials and difficulties that God will allow to come into our life. And the adversary fights against us. But our character is whether you're going to stand for God or not in the midst of that temptation. And uh, Job, listen, Job didn't curse his God. Job didn't, didn't get angry with God. And uh, he lost everything, but Job still maintained his integrity and his worship of the Lord. Why? Because he knew, he experienced the ability to overcome the temptation in his life. And whatever temptation may be in your life, you need to define what it is. Is it a trial 
Or is it an enticement to sin? Is it, is it, a, is it a, a desire or a temptation or an allurement to draw you away from fulfilling God's will in your life? Or is it God just allowing you to go through a trial not only to prove or to show forth your character and your praise, but to develop more character in your life? And so we need to define temptation. Uh, whatever may be in your life. Notice in our text verse, in verse 13, there hath no temptation, we talked about that, taken you, but such is common to man. And so we define temptation, then we must describe common to man. And uh, first of all, we see this, that God uses Israel as an example in verse 6. Now these things were examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And so Paul will use an illustration here describing how uh, Israel uh, acted and conducted themselves so that we might be able to understand what it is God's saying that we can overcome. And so not only do we define the temptation, but we describe what's common to every one of us. And we see it in the life of Israel. So notice, as an example, uh, there is idolatry. Notice in verse 7, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. And so God warns us. He uses Israel to help us to see uh, that, wait a minute, they bowed down to other gods. They were not supposed to worship any other gods. They were supposed to be uh, the Lord God, and that's it in their life. But they took on the worship of the heathen that was around them. And so idolatry uh, would equal or respond to spiritual decay. Uh, they had decayed spiritually. In Colossians 3 and 5, it says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so what's he, what's he talking about here? I mean, if you live a life of fornication, you're just living your life just to satisfy yourself. You're worship, worshiping yourself. If you're covetous and you want other things and, and uh, uh, desire to have or other people have, uh, that is idolatry. You're wanting, listen, you're living your life pursuing those things uh, that God can provide for you, but you have made them the priority in your life. And so he says, listen, follow the example of Israel because idolatry is a spiritual decay that is common. Uh, every one of us have that temptation and every one of us need to confront that issue. How are you spiritually? You know, with this COVID going on, with in-person worship shut down and all kinds of different struggles and difficulties uh, with church ministries right now, how are you doing spiritually? What God have you put? Let me ask you this. Did you, have you put your health in front of God? The reality is, Everybody's more worried about their health than they are worried about worshiping God. Have you, have you, have you become your, your idol that you worship? No, we're supposed to face and identify the idolatry in our life because of the fact that when we turn our faces away from God, we face spiritual decay in our life. So he says they were idolaters, which were some of you. Then notice he deals with fornication. He goes on in uh, verse uh, 7, he says, Neither be ye idolaters, or were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. And so he says, watch out for fornication. In Ephesians chapter 5, in uh, verse 3, and I'll read that verse for you in a minute here, but uh, dealing with this matter of fornication, as idolatry deals with spiritual decay, 
Fornication deals with moral decay. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 3, says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now listen, I have learned this. God does not command us to do something in the scriptures that he will not also give us the ability to do it. And God does not want his people uh, to be overwrought with moral decay to where they have a life that is consumed with fornication. And so we have all kinds of trials, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of temptations that we must go get over and have victory. Now, verse 9 in chapter 13, I'm sorry, of 1 Corinthians, he says, Neither let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. So tempting Christ. Uh, tempting Christ is in reference to having intellectual decay. And what I mean by that is uh, always trying to manipulate or maneuver God to the point where you want him to be. And I, I'm afraid oftentimes we have become... Um, um, more of ourselves being God because we expect God to respond to us and do what we ask him to do. And, uh, in, and certainly in Acts chapter 5 and verse 9, we read about Ananias and Sapphira uh, lying and uh, 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 about the sale of their land. And Peter says, said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord, behold the feet of them uh, which have buried thy husband are at the door and, and shall carry thee out. See, manipulating situations. Saying you sold your property for so much money. Saying that you gave such and such an offering unto the Lord when in reality it was a lie. You're just trying to manipulate the situation. Uh, intellectual decay, tempting Christ. You think you're going to get God's blessing because of some uh, quote-unquote spiritual thing that you might do, in reality, all you're doing is working up the wrath of God upon you. You need to overcome that temptation. We don't dictate to God who we are or what our outcome is going to be. We trust that God knows what is best, and we rest in his will no matter what goes on. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, uh, dealing with this whole thing of if you're saved by uh, keeping the works of the law or not, and they deal with the fact that we're saved by the grace of God. But in verse 10, uh, uh, Peter says this, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And so the rebuke comes, why are you tempting God? Why are you testing God? Why do you think you can manipulate God? Well, you got intellectual decay because you think you're smarter than the Lord. You think you, you, think you can run things better than God can run things. But I can tell you this, since I've been a Christian, there's been a lot of situations that God has done things or directed my life. I'm like, I really wouldn't have done that if I was doing it. And the temptation at that point is to think we must take control of our life and that we need to make the decisions rather than trusting in the Lord, tempting the Lord. He says, well, you remember what Israel did. They tempted God, and when they did, God destroyed them with serpents. And then there's not only, so there's idolatry, which is spiritual decay, fornication, which is moral decay, tempt, tempting Christ, which is intellectual decay. But he says here in verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So murmuring. Uh, he tells them very directly, no idolatry, no fornication, no tempting of Christ, no murmuring. Murmuring would represent this matter of emotional decay. Rather than being pleased or rather than being thankful, uh, rather than rejoicing in God, all we do is gripe and complain and murmur about what is 
either happening in our life or whatever it is that we wish was happening, but it's not happening, or we murmur and we complain about others in reference to what they're doing. Uh, no, no, no. If you want to be able to have victory over the temptations in your life, you can't be consumed with murmuring because you're in a state of emotional decay. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, we're supposed to, quote Paul says here, do all things without murmurings and disputings. It would be well if we would learn how, as believers, to overcome temptation in this area of murmuring, of griping, and complaining. And so we see, first of all, Paul deals with in our text this matter of temptation. There's a lot to this thing, matter of temptation. But God has said that we can overcome any temptation in our life. So we see temptations. The second thing we see in this chapter, uh, this verse, in verse 13, is God. Because he says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man, but God is faithful. So God enters into this equation. How can I overcome these temptations? Because there is a God that is always there and a God that is always faithful. You know, Israel, Israel's problem was that they thought that God had abandoned them. And may I say this, we become distraught and distressed and overwhelmed with temptations when we start to think and start to develop that mindset that God has abandoned us. God doesn't know what's going on in my life. God is not here to help me through this situation. And as a result of it, uh, we end up losing or succumbing to the temptations that are in our life. Now, look over in Numbers, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. It, we see Israel's uh, problem of um, thinking that God had abandoned them in Numbers chapter 14. Notice in, in verse 1 of Numbers 14, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. What, what's going on here in this chapter? That what's going on is the spies have been sent out to spy out the land and to be able to go in and possess a land that God said flows with milk and honey and a, a land that God said that they would be able to overtake, a land that God had promised he was going to give to them. But Israel thought that God had abandoned them, and so what happened to them? Fear developed mourning in verse 1. Fear developed mourning. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. Why? They were afraid. And the people wept that night. I, I, I am afraid that there are many Christians who are in a state of mourning because of fear. I'll tell you, our government has done a good job in instilling fear in the people of America. It is a shame. I, I thought the other day, I thought, oh, I'll preach a message uh, entitled, Sheep Being Led to the Slaughter. Because that's how we're acting in America. Instead of being bold and confident and standing up and living our lives, we have cowered into a corner because the government, as soon as something starts to get better, right away, oh, 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 oh you got to wear a mask. Oh, now you got to wear two masks. I mean, what are you going to do? Have us walk around with an oxygen tank a month from now? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous what is going on. It is fear that has developed mourning in the people's lives. Israel is on the premises of being able to enjoy a promise fulfilled in a plan to dwell that God had prepared for them, but because of their fear, they're mourning when they should be rejoicing. I see in verse 2, and I'll come to this, is falsely accused leaders. It says, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron 
And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. What are they doing? They came against, murmuring against Moses and Aaron, falsely accusing you know, we have, we have created such a mournful state in America that no matter what goes on, everybody has to have somebody to blame. They have to have somebody to attack. They have to have, and I'm sure somebody's going to get mad at me for this message tonight. But you need to overcome the temptation of murmuring. You need to overcome the temptation of fear that develops mourning in your life and causes you to point the finger at other people. Uh, we need to take the responsibility on ourselves and live our life by the grace of God and by the power of God that rests upon us. The ability to overcome temptation is based upon God, but when you think God has abandoned you, all hope is gone. So I see fear develop mourning, falsely accused leaders, and then in verse 3 and 4, I see a future tainted by the past. It says, Wherefore hath the Lord brought us up out of this land to fall by the sword? They already been crying about dying in, the, in Egypt, dying in the wilderness, and now they're crying about dying by the sword in Canaan land. That our wives and our children should be a prey were not better for us to return to Egypt See, their memory of Egypt is distorted and the memory of the past is tainting their hope for the future. And they said one towards another, let us make a, a, a captain and let us return unto Egypt. They said, let, let's, let's find somebody else to take us back to what we used to be. Wait a minute, God brought you out for victory. God brought, brought them out to possess a land. God brought them out to defeat a people. He didn't bring them out to, to mourn and uh, regret that they had been delivered out of Egypt. I was reading uh, uh, the legal alert put out by Christian Law Association um, this past week, just last couple, in the last day or so I was reading it. And these are statistics that they put in there in reference to church attendance being down during COVID-19. And I thought it was interesting. They identified three groups of people. Uh, first of all, boomers, that's baby boomers, that's me. You know, I'm in that classification. I'm, that means I'm old, that's all that means. Baby boomers, they said this, 40% of baby boomers stayed in the church since this pandemic started. 40% stayed in the church. 26% of boomers uh, stopped attending. They don't attend church at all. And then they said this, 11% switched churches. What an alarming thing. And as I, I'm reading these statistics, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm looking at a a picture here that's being painted that's of our church. So the boomers, uh, we need to get back in church. That's why we're opening up on March the 7th. We need to get back in church, and we need to be back in our church, not some other church. So then you got Generation X they dealt with. In Generation X, they say 31% of Generation X stayed in the church. However, 35% stopped attending, 35%, and 17% switched churches. The sad thing is the last section, the last group is millennials. And they said this, millennials, 30% millennials, stayed at the church, with 50% not attending at all. Now, I, let, me, let me propose this to us. How can you grow spiritually? How can your walk with God be strong enough to face the temptations in life when you don't go to church? 
50% of them stopped attending church, with 8% of them switching churches. Uh, may I say this? During a time of trial and crisis is not the time to go running somewhere else to find a sense of spirituality. Because if you're struggling spiritually, it has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with you and your relationship with God. And we're like the children of Israel. We have fear that has developed a state of mourning to where we are dissatisfied with leadership in our life, which causes us to lose sight of the hope that we have for tomorrow because we're so stuck in the past. And we need to turn to God who gives us the victory. And otherwise, we're just always going to be defeated and destroyed. So why would we turn to God? First of all, because God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful in his dealings with his people. God had not abandoned Israel in Numbers chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you this tonight. God has not abandoned you in 2021. You may have been sick. You may have had family members that have been sick. Uh, you may be dealing with other issues and problems financially, whatever it may be. But I can tell you this, based on the authority of the word of God, that God is faithful in how he deals with his people. And God has not abandoned you. Hebrews 13.5 says, let, us, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be uh, uh, content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so God is faithful to his people. Not only is he faithful to his people in regards to dealing with them, but he's faithful to his people in his provision for them. In other words, God can take care of you. And uh, God can, listen, God can heal your bad health. God can give you financial security. God can give you hope for tomorrow. God can give you souls to be saved. God can give you a, a life that is abundant, a life that is joyful. God can provide in your life whatever it is that you need. The key to overcome the temptations is to turn to the living God. Philippians 4.19 is still in the Bible, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So he is faithful in his provisions for his people. He's faithful in his promises, in his word. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So all these temptations that are piled up and mentioned at the beginning of the verse, because God is faithful, you can overcome all those temptations. So God is faithful, but God is sovereign. Notice in our text verse, in verse 13, this is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you such as is common to man, but God is faithful, here it is, who will not suffer you to be tempted. God is sovereign. The word suffer there means to allow or to permit. It carries with it the idea of letting up on something or letting go of something. And I want you to know that God will not suffer you or permit you or allow you to be overrun with the temptation. Why? Because he's sovereignly in control of everything. Not only is God faithful to his people because he is sovereign, but he is also leading it says, he will not suffer you to be tempted above your, that you're able, here it is, but will with the temptation. Notice he didn't say he would remove the temptation. 
he said, will with the temptation also make a way of escape. So God is leading. He makes a way of escape. I, just a couple of things here I, I wrote down. I need to get to the last point so I can get done. Uh, Israel, when the army of Egypt were pursuing them, what did God do? He opened up the Red Sea and they went across on dry ground. Israel, when they were hungry in the wilderness, what did God do? He rains bread from heaven and feeds them manna. Elijah, when he is sitting by the brook Cherith with no means of income or supplies, God uses the ravens to bring him bread and meat to eat. Elijah, when he's facing the famine that's in the land, God would direct him to go to a widow woman's house and she would feed him and sustain him. Elijah, when he's in the city of Dothan, as the armies of the Midianites are surrounding the mountain and his servant is fearful, Elijah prays and says, God, open his eyes so he can see. And God opens his eyes and the chariots of God are surrounding Elijah and his servant. What I'm going to say, God is always leading in every aspect of your life. <laughs> he is leading and directing you. So he deals with temptation. He not only deals with temptation, he deals with God. And then notice in our text verse, verse 13, make a way of escape, and here it is, that ye may be able to bear it. There's you. <laughs> I think sometimes when we talk about temptations, we can, all, we can really get to a point of, Dealing with, okay, I know God's in this. I know God will bless me. I know God is with me. Uh, but wait a minute. It's you. You are going through that trial. You will be going through that trial. You have gone through that trial. You make this thing of temptation and God's ability to get us through the temptations uh, personal to you. So it's a personal promise. It's a personal promise. Psalm 33, 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. And I want you to know tonight, I don't care what struggle it is you're facing. I don't care if it's a sin. I don't care if it's a trial. I don't care if it's loneliness. I don't care if it's emotional distress. I don't care if it's financial. I don't care what it is in your life. You can get a personal promise from God that, wait a minute, your hope for the future is based upon the mercy of God Almighty. So it's personal promise. Notice it's a practical promise. He says that ye may be able. That's practical. We often sing that little chorus, he's able, he's able, I know he is able, I know my God is able to carry me through. We might sing that, but we don't live that. Whatever the trial is, whatever the temptation is, God is able. You need to get that embedded in your psyche. No matter what happens, whatever confronts you, whatever you run into, whatever you have to deal with, just think God is able. Notice in Isaiah 41.10, says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You got to get that embedded in your psyche. Get a practical promise from God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And then I see it's a powerful response. Because it says here that, uh, that ye may be able to bear it. You can bear it. Sometimes people say, I just can't keep going on. Yes, you can. Well, I, I, ju I, just can't, I just can't face no. Yes, you can. Uh, I remember my dad used to say, can't is a lazy man that didn't try. And you might try something and you might fail, but that's all right. Try something else. Uh, you might be faced with a trial that just keeps overwhelming you, 
That's all right. Keep turning to God and trusting God. Uh, you say, well, wait a minute. I just, I got temptations in my life. Then you make the conscious decisions to get the temptations out of your life. You say, I don't know if I'm able. You are able because God said he would make you able to do it. 1 Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. Here it is. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. In other words, I can live my life satisfied in Jesus Christ. I can live my life stable and settled and secure in Christ. I don't need to be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. I don't need to be overcome by every fleshly temptation that comes down the road. I don't need to be overcome with a spirit of abandonment and murmuring and griping and complaining. Why? Because God is able to get you through and over the temptation that comes in your life. So I love this verse because it helps us understand uh, what temptation is, who gets us over the temptation, and to know that it's, it's me right now God's dealing with. You know, I, I'm happy. I really am happy that God can get you over the temptations in your life. But I can tell you this, I'm more happy that he can get me over mine. And you got to make this thing personal. Your walk with God is personal. And Israel became discouraged and defeated because they lost the reality that there was a personal God who was caring for them and blessing them. And Paul says this, the Corinthians, I mean, they struggle with so many things. And Paul said, listen, let me remind you, this is where you get the victory. This is where you have the challenge set before you. And so walk in faith and not by sight. And God will give you the victory, overcoming temptation. Let's pray, and then we'll make a few statements here about the prayer sheet we have. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. I pray this has been a help. Uh, there's so many aspects of temptation. It's not just being uh, uh, enticed to sin. Uh, but, yea, Lord, it goes beyond that. Uh, there's trials that we go through, difficulties we go through. Uh, emotional states that we fought, find ourselves in. And yet through all these things, no matter what it is, uh, there is a God in heaven who is able to give us the strength to overcome it. We do not have to be defeated by the circumstances in life. And so God, give us victory tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.